Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? Good? It's a beautiful day. Just what a joy to come together and worship. Uh, just so much fun to see uh, the team up here worshiping, leading us, smiling, just having a great time. It's just, uh, it really warms my heart. Uh, my name's the, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Greg Hesterman. I'm one of the elders here at New Life. I am not full-time staff. I'm actually, I work for the uh, Ohio National Guard, Air National Guard. And um, it's kind of interesting. I used to fly airplanes, but nowadays I fly a desk, and I'm actually flying a lot of time in my car. Um, as of late, I've been driving up to Mansfield, Ohio. It's about an hour and a half away, and I'm helping them uh, in a major mission transition from flying airplanes to flying computers, um, which is going to be pretty cool. But the part that I'm really enjoying about it is I'm starting to meet a lot of people and work with a lot of people that I haven't really worked closely with previously. And I don't know about you, but humans are interesting, right? They can be a lot of fun and a lot of challenges at times. There's, there's one man in particular. His name is Darren. He's actually he's the wing commander up there, okay? So he runs the whole base, and I'm kind of working for him right now. And um, he is quite entertaining. We can be in the most serious discussion uh, pertaining to personnel or mission or whatever, and he'll drop a line from the Blues Brothers, or, I mean, you name it, Dumb and Dumber, right? Quality, I mean, we're talking real quality movie lines here, right? And um, it breaks the tension significantly. And I'm, I love movies. I really love movies. I'm not the best at identifying lines and where they're coming from or who said them, that sort of thing, right? I know a few people are. Um, so this morning, I actually want to do a little bit of a pop quiz to get things started, okay? So I'm going to read a couple movie lines to you. And what I'm going to ask is, I'm not going to finish the line. I want to see if you can finish the line. And then I just shout it out. And then, and then I want you to tell me who actually said it, okay? And I'll take either the character or the actor, all right? So we got a few here that I, I want to go through here real quick. So I'm going to start out real early. This isn't from my generation. I think this is closer to Eric's generation. The Wizard of Oz, nine, <laughs> 1939, right? Was he even here to hear that? He might have slipped out. Okay, so this one should be pretty easy. Toto, I have a feeling we are not... Kansas. Right, very well. Very, very good. Who said it? Dorothy. Dorothy. Who is the actress? Nice, nice. Okay, so pretty easy, right? Pretty easy. Okay, here's the next one. And this is from my wife's all-time favorite movie. So, um, I feel the need, the need... Right? Yep. <laughs> Top Gun, 1986. Who said it? <laughs> Who was it? Mav and Goose, Tom Cruise, and who's Goose? Uh, Anthony Edwards from ER fame, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, classic right there. So I graduated high school in 87, just to give you some perspective there. Okay, I got a couple here for the kids. Are there any kids in the room? Okay, or at least kids at heart. This one's super easy. My, uh, my grandson would love this one. To infinity? Who said it? Or? Nice. Nicely done. What year did that come out? What do you think? 95. Yeah. The, daughter my, or the year my oldest daughter was born. I was shocked by that. I thought it was a lot more recent. Okay. Here's a little bit more, more present day for the kids. Some people are worth... Nice, nice. Who said it, Megan? Olaf. Olaf, yep. Okay, do you know who? 
Do you know who did Olaf's voice? <laughs> Nicely done. Okay, what year? 13, 2013, wow, wow, people, okay, you need to get some other hobbies, okay, okay, last one, and this is one of my favorites, this is uh, from 1992, you can't handle the truth, who said it? Jack Nicholson, what was his character's name? Colonel Jessup, yep, Colonel Jessup, the Marine, right? You need me on that wall, you want me on that wall, right? Very great, great movie. Another Tom Cruise before he kind of went <laughs> off. Uh, but that's from 1992. Um, and to me, it's very relevant for today's discussion, believe it or not. So today we're going to talk about the truth. We're going to talk about the, really the only truth that matters, that of the gospel, the truth that um, you know many people don't fully grasp. Even Christians in the church, I believe, or people that say they are Christians in the church, don't fully grasp what the, the ground truth is when it comes to what Christ talks about in these verses that we're going through today. And honestly, it's just vital to our relationship with God. So um, let's bow our heads in prayer uh, before we get started, because I can tell you, I, I could sure use it. So good morning, Father. I just want to thank you for the opportunity to share your word today, Lord. I ask that uh, you be with us as I stand up here on this stage, not of my own accomplishments or anything that I have done of my own will, Lord, but purely because of the grace that you have offered me in, in my life, Lord. I just pray that you use my words um, to share with those in the body what you would have them hear, Lord. I pray that these words be yours and not my own. We just love you and thank you so very much. Your son's holy and precious name I pray. Amen. All right. So as you can tell, I love movies. There's something about movies that, especially you think in a, in a nice dark theater with awesome sound, um, it can really get you excited. It can get you the heart pumping, can get you worked up, can get you maybe to tears. You know, Top Gun, right? Goose dies. It's a sad day, right? Um, but seriously, movies really do that for you. And I'll just say, for me, my wife's going to hate me for saying this, um, reading doesn't get me as excited <laughs> as the movies do, okay? But I, I'm a full sensual guy. I want to have all the, the sound, the music, that really, music for me really brings things to life. Um, and, and the challenge I have at times that I've, I've recognized in myself is when I read the word, I don't visualize that this is a true story. These are real people with real emotions. And it's not till recently that I've really come to appreciate that. So as we go through today, we're going to go through a lot of scripture, okay? I'm going to ask you, if you need to, close your eyes, but visualize these are people that are trying to figure out who Jesus is and what he is talking about and what is really happening because their mind is being blown by what he's saying, all right? And what you're going to see is a bit of a crescendo through all these verses today to the end. It, it ends pretty rough, all right? So when we start reading through this, please just try to remember that these were real people with real emotions. So here's the scene as we pick up from last week where Mike uh, preached on Jesus being the light of the world. So Jesus is in the temple. He's teaching Jews about who he really is, all right? There's lots of confusion. Some folks are starting to get upset or angry. 
There's Pharisees there. There's some of Jesus' followers there. And then there's just regular people of the Jewish faith. And they've been asking, if you go back to, to verse 25 in chapter 8, who are you? Right? They're, they're seeking to understand. So this is where we pick up in John chapter 8, starting in verse 31. So if you your Bibles, go ahead and open it there. It says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. So let's start in the beginning where he's addressing his followers. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. How many times do you use the word abide in a week? Anybody? No? Maybe? Matt? Of course you do, Matt. I see, I see that in the back. Um, so let me, let's flush this out a little bit, the word abide. So the NIV actually says, um, it uses a slightly different wording. It says, hold to my word. The Christian Standard Bible says, continue in my word. I do think the word abide is, is most appropriate here. This is how dictionary.com defines abide. It says, to remain, to endure, sustain, sustain or withstand without yielding or submitting. Now, this, to me, is what Jesus is referring to. We are to abide, to hold to, to endure without yielding or submitting to any other distraction, to his word, to the Bible. Because really, the word is him, right? So what does that really look like? Now, I'm going to use a little vignette here. About 30 years ago, I can't believe it's been that long, I started learning to fly airplanes. And it started out with a lot of ground school before I ever touched an airplane. I, mean, I had a stack of books. I'm not kidding. It was about that high. And I'd go in my, our spare bedroom every night and study and read and study. But it was probably about five months before they actually strapped me into a cockpit and I took off for the first time and actually got to slip the surly bonds, if you will, and actually start to fly. And that's when it started to come together. But you know what? I wasn't done studying. Then I'd land i debrief with my instructor, right? Figure out all the things I did wrong, then go home and study more. And then the next day, go fly again. Land, debrief, go home, study, fly again. And it was a continuing evolution. And honestly, I flew airplanes for, for 25 years, and I never got to the point where I could just go, okay, I got this, right? It was too serious for me to just put my feet up and go, okay, this is easy. I mean, it, got, it did get easier, but I never stopped studying. That is what we're talking about when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. We need to be reading his word diligently. It takes willpower, determination. It's an active action that each of us must do individually. You know, the interesting thing about abiding, you can't rely on someone else to do it for you, right? 
I'm, I'm going to give one more vignette. I, I promise I'll be done with my personal vignettes, but I think this one is relevant too. Um, so back in 1987, um, my first date was not due to my own doing with my wife. Okay? I was actually sitting at a lunch table with my best friend Jeff and Amy and her friend Pam, who my friend Jeff was, was dating at the time, came up to our table and started talking to us. And Jeff actually asked Amy out on my behalf without talking to me first. Okay? Now, that's a true story. And it, it was flawless after that, a flawless dating relationship. Um, that's a whole other sermon series. Uh, but in all honesty, what do you think, how do you think that relationship would have developed if I had relied on Jeff to continue on my behalf building a relationship with Amy? Do you think that would have turned out too well? <laughs> She's like, no, no. Jeff was not her type at all. But that's the thing, right? With a relationship, you can't count on your elders, your life group leaders, your D group leaders. You can't count on somebody else abiding in the word for you. It's a personal relationship. It takes personal effort. And that's the beauty of this. You know, back in the day, the church wouldn't allow people to do that. You couldn't even read a written Bible. But that's not what God designed it for. We have his word. We have the ability to have a personal relationship with him. But we have to pursue him. That is on us. That is on us. And like anything worth doing, it absolutely takes effort, right? So let's see why we should do this. What will happen if we choose to abide in his word? In verse 32, Jesus answers that. He says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That is truth, right? And sometimes that is hard for us to accept or to be able to handle. You know, as, as Colonel uh, Jessup would say, you can't handle the truth. Sometimes we can't. We struggle with understanding why we need to abide in the word. And in today's world, it can be incredibly difficult to know the truth. You know, between what you read online, what the news says, what your friends say, how do you discern truth? Truth can be elusive, and it always has been that way. I mean, you think about it. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Satan, Adam, and Eve, they lost sight of the truth because Satan was the father of lies and telling them something was not um, entirely true, and they bit off on it, so to speak, right? They did. Didn't go well after that. She forgot what the truth was. Eve did. In the coming weeks, as we study the book of John, we'll hear Pilate say to Jesus, what is truth? Truth can be a very challenging thing. And think back to those times in Jerusalem. They didn't have the internet, right? No Google, no drudge. They didn't have newspapers. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have even books or newspapers as we know them today. The primary means of news was word of mouth. Now, how reliable is that? Not great, right? Telephone game? Have you ever done that? It is difficult, but that is how it, that's all they had to deal with back then. But the truth that Jesus was referring to is himself and what he represents, and he always has been. The fact that he is the one true Messiah, that no other religion will save you, that the only way to be saved from utter destruction is by having a new faith in God like Abraham had. 
Now, the Jews Jesus was speaking to struggled with this, right? It was mind-blowing. Sometimes we struggle with it too. So how do we get past this? As I said, it's, it's by putting forth the effort, taking the time to study his word, to seek understanding and learning about how, who God truly is. But then it takes the next step of actually putting it into action. And I guarantee you, if you do this, you will truly find the only truth that matters. And you'll be set free, set free from the penalty of sin and receive the gift of eternal life. But let's get back to the conversation, all right? Picking up in verse 33, the Jews responded to what Jesus was saying. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you. I love it when he does that. It's like, this is, you can't doubt this, right? Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So the Jews were truly confused in this moment, right? They were not getting it. Saying, one, that they'd never been enslaved, um, the whole Pharaoh thing, right? They were currently occupied by the Romans. may not have been true slavery, but it definitely wasn't freedom. They're thinking, though, in earthly terms and not spiritual terms. Now, when Jesus refers to those who practice sin, he's referring to those who have not chosen him as their savior, those who have taken a religion out of God and turned it into a list of rules and consequences. Now, remember, we're all born sinners, right? Every single one of us is born a sinner. We can't escape that. Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that to be true. But back in John chapter 8, Jesus is referring specifically to those who continue to go forward in their sinful ways, not interested in being free from the bondage of sin, not fully knowing or accepting the truth. Later in the New Testament, 1 John chapter 3 explains it this way. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Now, as believers, we strive towards not sinning, but we're going to slip up, right? No one is perfect. We're going to continue to have issues. But how do we respond when that occurs? Is it with remorse and repentance? Or is it a continuation of sin? Ideally, if we're truly abiding in him, we demonstrate remorse, regret. Our heart aches over our sin. And that's because we understand the price paid at the cross to save us from that sin, right? Now, for believers... That's who Jesus is talking about when he says everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. What he's really saying is that they are owned by sin. Because isn't that really what a slave is? He's property, right? No choice in what they say, what they do, where they go. They're owned by it. And you think about it, sin can have that same effect on us. For those who don't know and follow the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, Every one of them is owned by sin. 
Now, Jesus goes on to explain this. He says, a slave does not remain in the father's house. Slaves eventually depart, but the son remains as he is loved by the father. Now, you got to understand the context in which this is being said, okay? This isn't slavery as, as we had it in the United States. Back then, oftentimes, people that owed a lot of money would, would offer themselves up to be a slave in order to pay off their debt. Not unlike today, I guess, in some ways, right? <laughs> but to, to live in the master's house, to do what the master says, to pay off their debt. But then after seven years of servitude, if you will, they would be released. That was the Jewish custom. After seven years, they would be released. So that's what Jesus is referring to here. You know, back then, the seven years, it was a reference to uh, the time of rest and release from their debt, it actually led up to the Jubilee after 49 years, seven times seven. Uh, the Jewish faith, people of the Jewish faith would celebrate the Jubilee. They did not remain in the owner's or father's house forever. But then when you go back to the scripture, he, Jesus said, but the son, small s, did because he was part of the family, right? The son never leaves the father's house. He's forever there as part of that family, forever family. But then Jesus explains that the son, capital S, that being Jesus, will be the one to set them free. I find it interesting that people would sell themselves into slavery in order to pay off their debts. And you think about it, with sin, people do the same thing. They sell themselves, they sell their eternal soul be, all for a fleeting moment of sin, for an opportunity that will eventually kill them. When it comes to sin, that debt can never be fully paid for by our own efforts, though. There is no seven-year release. There is no jubilee. But if the Son, the Son of God, sets you free, you are truly free. Without Christ, the slavery of sin lasts forever. And that is the God's honest truth. So moving on to the next section, and starting in verse 37, things start to begin to heat up. And imagine this dialogue, okay? I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your father. They said to him, you are not, you are born, not born of sexual I'm sorry, correction. We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Now realize here, Jesus is calling them out, right? He's saying if Abraham was truly their father, they would be following in his, in his footsteps. Abraham was a man of faith. He was faithful to God in every way. The author of Hebrews explain, explains it well as to Abraham's faithfulness, in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, 
Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You see, Abraham was a man with a faithful and true heart. He was not concerned with laws per se, but with honoring God with his heart, acting out of love. Now in verse 41, Jesus is starting to truly call out the religious Jews. He's saying, you are doing the works your father did. Now this is a highly offensive statement made by Jesus. And it got the Jews started to get amped up, right? They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. They knew Jesus' story. Small town, right? News travels fast. They knew that in the worldly eyes, what they thought Jesus' story was, that his mom got pregnant before she was wed. That's the sexual immorality that they're referring to. The NIV actually uses the phrase, we are not illegitimate children. New King James says, we were not born of fornication. They're really ticked that this guy, who was born out of wedlock, is telling them that their father is not God and they're not sons of Abraham. He was born out of sexual immorality. Jesus is dirty because of how he was conceived and they were calling him out. They were literally elevating themselves above Jesus according to the earthly understanding of what matters and what the truth was. But listen to how Jesus responds. Imagine the conversation going on here and the reactions to what he is saying, starting in verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I am not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the word of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Jesus is pressing back very hard here. It's a harsh statement, right? But it's oh so true. He's giving them the real truth, telling them that they are not understanding him, that they can't understand him because they cannot bear to hear his word. They can't handle the truth. But why? And Jesus is very direct. He says, because their father is the devil the father of lies. The Jews can't handle it. They, they start to lose their mind. His words are offensive. It goes against all that they had ever known or understood, against who they thought they were. Their reality was not God's reality. Now, I'll tell you, I, I believe that the Jews thought they were earnest in their faith. They believed they were doing the right thing, but they had gotten so far away from the faith of Abraham that the way they were 
treating the relationship with God, it became very much a religion and not a relationship, right? You see, they had 613 laws that they attempted to follow, that they graded themselves on and everyone else around them, right? They did not recognize that every single one of us is a sinner, unworthy of God's love, grace, and forgiveness. They tended to look at outward appearances instead of what was in a person's heart. Very prideful and arrogant. They judged others based on where they lived and who their parents were. Think about what they just said to Jesus about his own birth story, right? They were honestly looking for a military or a political leader that would free them from the Romans, not from the effects of their sins. And all of these are lies. In many ways, the same opinions or lies are believed by many in the church today. How often do Christians go out and grade others on their performance? Grade others based on the sin that they see in their lives or the mistakes or the challenges. It happens all too often. We can have the same type of attitude of pride and arrogance, judging ourselves not against God's holiness, but against others and how we compare to them. That is not our standard. It's not a grade and graded on a curve, right? The only true measure is God's holiness. And then Jesus continued. The Jews answered him, starting in verse 48. Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Now, calling him a Samaritan, that is very derogatory. Calling him a half-Jew, all right? They're not real pleased with Jesus right now. <laughs> Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, there it is again, right? If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And if you think about it, his word isn't that list of 613 laws. It's about having a relationship with God. In verse 52, though, the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Why do you make yourself, or who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, I love this sarcasm, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I am. He's referencing the introduction of God to Moses 
before Moses brought the people out of Egypt. There's no doubt in their minds. So what was their response? So they picked up stones to throw at him. And these weren't verbal stones, right? These were literal rocks that they were going to kill him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. That is the truth bomb of eternity right there, right? If we seek to keep his word, to abide in it, to know it, and to live it, then we too have eternal life. That is what being a Christian is all about. That is the gospel message. This means that we not only have the knowledge of his word, but apply it to our lives. That we seek to have a relationship with him, that we understand that he is our one true father who loves us and sent his one and only son to die on the cross for our sake. If we truly keep his word, these things will happen. But it does take effort. It won't happen on its own. And we can't rely on anyone else to do it for us. We must work at it each and every day. You know, I've, I've been married to Amy now for over 30 years. Ups and downs. I know her better than anybody, and she knows me better than anybody in the entire world. But going back to 1987, there's never been a point in those years when we could put our hands up and go, you know what, we've arrived. We don't have to still continue to work at our relationship. And you know what, we never will. I'm confident that if we ever get to that point, it would be at the end of our marriage. Any relationship is that way. So why is it that it is so easy for us to think that we've arrived in our relationship with God? We must make the effort. We must put forth time and energy so we can come to understand who he is better. Remember how I talked about study, fly, debrief, study, fly, debrief. We need to do that with God. We need to study his word. We need to go out there and apply it. We need to be around others that can tell us when we're getting it wrong. And then go back to his word and study it again and do that each and every day. And as we do that, we will get better. We'll get better at not sinning. We're never going to arrive in that area either, right? We will never be free of sin as long as there's still breath in our lungs. But I'm telling you, the joy that comes from that relationship far exceeds anything else that we put our time and energy into. So let me ask you, where are you putting your efforts? What are you abiding in? Is it him? Or is it work? Is it family? Is it entertainment? It is so easy to be distracted. Are we abiding in worldly standards that in the end are worth absolutely nothing? Or are you abiding in his eternal word so that you will know him personally as your Lord and Savior? And in all honesty, that is the only truth that matters. 
You know, if, if you don't know Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior, I'd be glad to talk with you and to share my story with you and, and we can start working towards a way to figure it out together. I'm just, it, I can tell you there is nothing worth more in this world than having that relationship with God. And if you're a long-term Christian who's then all of a sudden gotten comfortable and put your feet up, I just want to encourage you to get back into it to really pursue him. It is so worth it. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for giving us your word. That through it, we can come to understand who you are and what you want for us, Lord. That this love letter to us is one that we can seek every day and still continue to grow. I so appreciate, Lord, that you want a personal relationship with us, that you allow us the opportunity to spend time with you one-on-one. And Lord, I just pray for all of us, every single one of us, that we can abide in you. Because truly, Lord, there's nothing else worth abiding in. We love you and praise you. Amen.